You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. My apologies for the phone call. We didn't tell our son we were going away. We told our daughter. We didn't tell our other three sons. We just disappeared because we could. Amen. Holy Ghost. Great band. Let's give the band a hand. Outstanding. Amen. And uh, I'll just bounce around as I, as I go along today. Uh, amen. Now, over the last uh, number of weeks, you've been speaking on this uh, subject, living alive. Amen. Sounds like an oxymoron, living alive. But uh, you can live dead. In other words, you can be alive, but you're living your life like, you know, uh, there are no dreams, there are no aspirations. It's as though we've, we're just marking time, all right? And, uh, and I believe that, that God wants to breathe into us in such a way that, that we're excited about life. This is a tremendous atmosphere here this morning. And it's got everything to do with Jesus and everything to do with you. Amen? Because where people draw near to him, he runs a mile. Oh, wrong scripture, sorry. When people draw near to him, he draws near to them. Amen? So this morning, I just want to talk on this subject called community on fire. Uh, that's a metaphor, all right? Because um, the amazing thing with us as Christians, we have all these metaphors about life and we talk about set the church on fire, you know, and if people took us literally, there'd be a lot of churches burning down. But they're metaphors. We're actually talking about inspiring and uh, creating passion in people's lives for Christ. So we're talking about the community on fire. You're a community, a great community, all right? And we're just going to talk a little bit about the things that actually ignite that fire of the Spirit of God inside of us. Amen. Now, I've been listening to a number of Messages that have been preached over the past four weeks. I didn't lift, listen to Pastor Nate's because it wasn't put up on the website. So I listened to Pastor Darren's instead because I understand that you're speaking in the same uh, churches uh, in a similar vein. So in the first message, uh, Pastor Jez Baker mentioned this. She says, we as people lose heart. Amen. We get tired, fatigued or whatever, or life just uh, overwhelms us and we just lose heart. You might be like that this morning. Let's believe that God's going to touch you in a significant and specific way. Amen. If you're feeling dispirited or disheartened, He's here to breathe over your life because God loves you and He's for you. Amen. And she, said, she encouraged us to live a life fully engaged. Amen. We, we've got to get engaged with what is transpiring. It's easy to sit in the church and the worship this morning. You can feel flat. And what we can do is we can just sort of sit back. And I think there's a place for that. I think there's also a place for us stepping forward to the best of our ability. So living a life fully engaged. Then Pastor Keith spoke about this out of uh, Proverbs 4 concerning, uh, you know, our heart. Uh, life comes out of our heart. And he went on to speak about uh, guarding your heart and to be a living sacrifice. I'm going to talk a little bit about sacrifice today because sacrifices had a bad rap. Amen. Most of us, when we think about sacrifice, we think this is going to hurt. 
right? So we'd prefer to sacrifice someone else than ourselves, right? So if you have someone that's near to you and you would like to sacrifice them, we'll be doing something after the service, all right? <coughs> but it gets a bad rap. We kind of figure, when, the moment we start talking about sacrifice, we start thinking negatively. Well, hopefully today I can put something positive on that. But it encourages us out of Romans 12, verse 1, you know, to present ourselves to Him as a living sacrifice. Okay? And then uh, uh, you wouldn't have heard Pastor Darren unless you listened on his podcast, which I did. And he made this statement. He says, worship rises from gratefulness. Amen? We bring the sacrifice of praise. And this morning you may not have felt like it. You might have been going through a tough time. Things may not be going well. But you lifted your voice. Amen? You may have even got a finger up today. You know, because it depends on how we are. You know, sometimes it's pretty hard to get those hands up because we just feel deflated and defeated. But the fact that you're here, a sacrifice of praise. Amen? The fact that you're here, a sacrifice of praise. Living alive. Okay, now... Sacrifice is a statement that is made in every message that, that has been spoken over these last four weeks. So I kind of figure this, let's live fully alive, amen? Let's be enthusiastic about life. Find something. Find something. The person next to you, you like their shoes. I love those shoes. I haven't got a pair. Where did you get them? I'm going to get a pair of shoes like that. Okay, just find something that we can get enthusiastic about in life. That's all we've got to do. The church, this church, every church is built on the sacrifices of the many. Amen? Every single person that's here today, I have no doubt to some level or another, you have made a sacrifice in regard to the building of this church. And what's important for us is to note that we cannot measure it against someone else's. Every sacrifice, as far as God is concerned, is valued and accepted on the most part. I'll qualify that in a moment. But it's the sacrifices of the many that build the church. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, I'd love for you to turn to uh, Acts chapter 2. We're going to read from verses 42 down to 47. That's going to be our primary scripture. I'll give you a few minutes to turn there if you've got, uh, you know, a Bible that's got pages or if you've got uh, your uh, digital Bible, then you'll be there already because you anticipated that's where we were going to go. Okay, verse 42, it says, it says, after the outpouring of the Spirit, 3,000 people have been born again. The church has just absolutely just been birthed on that day. That's quite a phenomenal church growth, don't you think? It really created some pressure for the leaders. Right? There are 12 of them. There was actually 120 in the upper room, but uh, there are 12 primary ones and then the rest that went on from there. Suddenly they had these massive connect groups. This is how it goes. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, 
and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together in the temple each day, met in the Lord's home, uh, met uh, in the Lord's, sorry, where are we? Uh, Met in the homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who have been saved. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the anointing of your spirit over us today. We thank you that you are breathing over this church and we thank you for bringing your word and causing it to reach deep into our hearts, bringing revelation and understanding that we might better serve you, that we might discover your greater purpose for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we have a... Is that, is, did you get a... Uh, a, what should I call it, a slideshow that was uh, coupled with this? Obviously not. So I'll have to act it out, all right? Is that okay? A little bit of Irish dancing and we should be okay. Amen. Now, let me just say something about that particular scripture because everybody sort of uh, trots that out every now and then to say this is how we should be operating. But let me explain something to you about the context of this scripture. Now, what was transpiring is that the church was birthed in an environment in which it was uh, uh, occupied by a foreign force. Now, also, the church was birthed in a time when the religious uh, hierarchy were opposed to them. And so they found themselves in a place where they were under siege, as it were. And in that environment, the church went to an extraordinary place in which they began to sacrifice incredibly to ensure that all the believers were of equal provision. All right, now we quote that scripture and we start thinking, we look around and say, oh, people should be doing this. No, no, it was an extraordinary environment. But what it does convey to you and I is that we should be looking out for each other that we should be unified with each other. We should be supporting one another. We should be breathing life into one another. Was where the church, amen? We are those that Christ has redeemed and He is seeking to redeem as many as He possibly can off the face of this earth. And that's why when we read this, we realise this is a community on fire. They've recognised the situation, the day that they're in, and we should recognise the day that we're in. There are all sorts of things that are coming against the church, but that doesn't mean that we should react to it like we're in a siege mentality. It means that we should convey continually the love of Christ to this world, even as they oppose us, even as they ridicule us, even as they come against us. Because we're here to convey the love of Jesus Christ. Because that's the only thing that changes people. Now, we've had a statement in our church over the years and and all the stuff that we've done, it's not equal giving, but it is equal sacrifice. Amen? We're all limited to one degree or another in terms of the level of sacrifice or the level of giving that we can make, whether it's in our contribution to the music team or serving in some other area of church life or in our financial contribution. But we should all be making the same sacrifice. That's what we should be doing if we're to build a church. Now, a number of years ago, I was preaching in a church down in Adelaide, and uh, quite a number of years ago, and they had bought this old Uniting Church building. It was really old. 
And um, what transpired is that uh, as I was walking through the church, they were just preparing for the service, much like we were doing this morning. I was walking through the church and I came across this stained glass window. And I, it was quite intriguing. I was just looking at it and at the bottom there was this little plaque and it says, this is, was purchased by Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so in the memory. There it is there. That's it there. Oh, we've got it. Yeah. Um, and there's a plaque at the bottom there. And uh, this isn't the actual picture, by the way. This is just one to give you an idea of what it was like because I didn't take a photo of it back then. They didn't have smartphones and I wasn't smart enough to operate one anyway. But at the bottom of it, they've got this this. Uh, commemorative uh, label there that talks about the family that have paid for that, right? And on this window in this church in Adelaide, there was a picture of Jesus with his shepherd's crook pulling the lamb up uh, out of a precarious position or situation. And as I read the plaque, it articulated that this window had been purchased and paid for by Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so in memory of their son who was 20 years of age who was killed in World War II. And I looked at this and I thought, it's the first time I ever had a realisation of what hallowed ground meant. That this church was built on the sacrifices of the many. And this window articulated so clearly to me the cost that people pay. And that was setting us free. Now, there are, uh, it just made me think, I realised that hallowed ground is where a sacrifice has been made, where blood has been spilt, where a life has been given. And lives can be given without blood being spilt. to build something for others. Now, Kristen and I went uh, traveling around 2014 and uh, I've always had this hunger or this desire to go to Normandy. I just had this thing. You can flick the next slide if you like. And uh, this is uh, Aramanche Labant. And uh, this is on the Normandy coast. This is where they landed, where the British landed. Further down the coast is Omaha Beach where the Americans landed and then they've the sword beach where the, the uh, Scottish guys landed. But you'll see these little things. They're called Cassians, and they built this, what they call the Mulberry Wharf. But there are over 400,000 guys died on that day. 400,000 young men died on that day. And I had to walk on that beach. It's always been this desire of mine. I wanted to walk on that beach. I wanted to pay homage to the sacrifice that was paid for me to have the freedom to stand here today and to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ because I'm standing here today on the blood of others. And not only of those guys that paid that price there, but those who have forged the way for the Word of God to be in your or my hands. Men and women who are burned at a stake, men and women who gave their life that we might come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can flick to the next one if you wouldn't mind. This is Omaha Beach. We went there. I had to go and have a look there. There are 9,387 soldiers buried in this graveyard. There are 27 cemeteries over there of British, 
of Polish, of French, of Canadian, of Australian soldiers who are buried in that turf. Hallowed ground. Hallowed ground. The whole thing I'm telling you that for is because I want us to get a sense of what the church is about when we talk about hallowed ground. There was another picture that I had that um, I missed. I didn't put it up, but it was the picture of the cross because that's the greatest sacrifice that has ever been made. It is for the redemption of all humankind, for yours and mine. And that's what makes this place hallowed ground. Oh, I know it's a performing arts theatre, but you're here. You're here. The church is here. This is hallowed ground. So, hallowed, regarded as holy, venerated, sacred. And what makes anything hallowed is the significance of the sacrifice made in that regard. And I know that in this church, there have been tremendous sacrifices made. Pastor Keith and Janet have overseen Christine and I and our church for 10 years. We want to thank you for that incredible sacrifice. Having to leave your church, come up to our place, you know, uh, slum it with us, you know, because that's, that's what it's like with old hippies, you know. And, um, but you don't see the sacrifice that these guys make. And they wear it so well. Hi, guys. How you going? Worn down, facing all sorts of obstacles, trying to carry the church forward for one purpose, to glorify Jesus Christ through the salvation of others. And I thank you for that. I salute you for your incredible devotion to Christ and to the body of Christ and to the people of God. So sacrifice, what does it mean? Well, as I said, we all get a bad spin on it. So let me just give you a rendering. Sacrifice is the surrender, relinquishment or loss of something prized, valued or desirable for the sake of something considered as having a higher value or a more pressing claim. In other words, you and I are prepared to pay the cost because we see it has far greater value than the thing that we have, whether it be our time, our finance, etc., etc. We see a far more pressing claim. Amen? Sacrifice there is none that is too insignificant. I was reading about when Jesus was taken to the temple to be dedicated in Luke chapter 2. And it says that they went to present their offering. And it says in Luke to either present two pigeons or two doves, which gave an indication to me that Mary and Joseph were not well off. Because the general rendering was that when you presented your firstborn, and dedicated at the temple, you bought a lamb or to be sacrificed. And if you didn't have a lamb, socioeconomic provisions, if you didn't have a lamb, you presented either two doves 
or two pigeons. And this is what was done when Jesus was presented. So therefore, on the basis of your and my socioeconomic status, no sacrifice, as far as God is concerned, is too small and too insignificant. And should never demean yourself thinking, I, I could give more. In Mark chapter 12, at the end of the chapter, Jesus is observing the treasury. He sees a widow woman come in. She brings two small coins that are insignificant in the light of what everyone else is giving. And Jesus makes a distinction. He says, see what she has given? She has given more than those who have given much, but it's out of their surplus. They didn't feel it at all. Could be millions of dollars. But it didn't cost them anything, really. It was out of their surplus. But her, it was everything. And it gets the attention of God. So, what does sacrifice look like? Right? It's about preparing a place. Now, just recently, uh, I now call him my pastor, Pastor Dan, which is quite a juggle, you know, in your head uh, when he used to be your understudy and now he's your superior pastor, okay? But we can all make the adjustments, amen? My self-worth isn't built on title. It's built on my ability to dance. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Anyway, Pastor Dan, then they just had a... a, a a, new, a baby born, he's a son, and uh, they have been, you know, sort of waiting these nine months and, uh, you know, they hadn't done anything at all about preparing for that baby. They just kind of figured, well, we'll just wait for this baby to turn up and then we'll sort of see what it is and then we'll get stuff. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> it's, it's not true. Every parent here knows the moment that they fall pregnant, the family starts preparing. Amen. And everybody starts making sacrifices. Dads, you can't get that new surfboard now because we've got a baby coming. And dads go, okay, because we're growing up. We're no longer living for ourselves. Now there is something greater coming, a far more pressing claim, something of far higher value. I can, I can still surf my old surfboard. I know the fin's fallen out, but I can just lean on one side, you know. I can do it. I can make it happen. Do you understand? We sacrifice in preparing a place for a child and the church, you. You sacrifice because you've been preparing a place. This is a place that you've prepared. You've prepared it with an incredible atmosphere this morning. You might be here for the first time. You might have come along to this church today. You've been invited by a friend and you're sitting and you're looking at this and these guys prepared a place because you are of such high value. You're important. They want to make sure that when you come into this place that you feel welcomed, you feel loved, you're provided for, that you feel like you matter. And you do. Amen? That's what we sacrifice for. That's all the sacrifice. Whenever pastor keeps the pastor down asking, let's contribute, we're going to buy this or do that. It's all about preparing a place. 
for your mums and dads, your brothers, your sisters, your uncles, your aunties, your cousins, your relatives, your work colleagues, your neighbours, your friends, whoever they are, everything is done to prepare a place so that when you bring them along to church, there is an environment that they can come into where they feel welcomed, where it's comfortable, where they're not standing out in the rain. That's what it's all about. Preparing a place. Amen? Oh, what an incredible scripture. Let me read this to you. It comes out of John chapter 14, 1 through to 3. Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's about to depart and go and he says this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If it were not so, I would have told you that I am, so I would, so would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Jesus was preparing a place. Amen? Jesus was preparing a place and he prepared it how? By his sacrifice. He prepared a place for you and I. And he's always preparing a place. You might be going through a tough time right now. But I want to tell you, God's preparing a place. He doesn't sort of, this isn't, you know, in the by and by. He's not talking about in the by and by. He's actually talking about preparing a place that we might come to know him by being born again. He's talking about preparing a place for us in heaven. He's talking about preparing a place in our current set of circumstances where we are journeying through. We're not quite sure what's happening, but we've got to know that God is preparing a place. All the time. That's why he says, in my house, there are many mansions or there are many rooms. Because God is preparing a place for us in the midst of all the different things that you and I are journeying through. You might think that God's forgotten you. You might think that, uh, is he aware of what's going on? Is he not sort of backing up? No, he's preparing a place. You may not have arrived there yet. But that's okay. Because we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey. Some of us get a little bit disillusioned. We sort of think, God, where are you in this? But I want to encourage you, friends. He's preparing a place. As real as you have prepared a place here for people to encounter God. What does it do? Well, motivation is the primary thing in terms of our sacrifice. What motivates us? When we come to the house of God, what motivates us? You know, I kind of figure, I want to make sure that when I bring someone along to our church, that they know that they're welcomed. And anyone who comes here will know that because the thing is this, you've already got it organised straight after the service. They're going to be served a coffee. They're going to have something to eat. People are going to chat with them, talk with them. They're going to feel welcomed. And they're just going to meet the, the best bunch of people. Amen. You are the best bunch of people. Amen? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's all you and I can do. I read this great scripture it's out of the message version. You would know it. It's out of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And the way that Eugene Peterson writes it, he wrote it in this fashion. He said this, that he says that we learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
Now let me talk a little bit about this sacrifice thing. I think the band's on their way up. This is the deal. I have this friend, I call him Pirate Pete. He's a bit of a gangster guy from Sydney. He's 80 years of age. He lives um, on the Gold Coast, uh, just uh, in this place where I've been going and frequenting. And I've just met him, and uh, he's very anti-religious, all right? Doesn't like church. He's had some horrific situations happen in his life. He lost two of his boys when they were young, when they were babes. He lost his daughter uh, a number of years ago to cancer, and he lost his wife uh, 18 months ago. And uh, so he's had some horrific sort of stuff that he's had to deal with. And he's had some ridiculous things said to him by uh, people who are, acquaint themselves with church. I won't call them. Yeah, well, anyway. Um, so, so he's a slightly disillusioned guy. But I, I met Pete, and I just was chatting with him and that. And so what we've been doing over the last, I don't know, 12 months or more, is I just, I go down to work out on a Tuesday, then I connect with Pete, and we, he goes down early, about half past four in the morning, swims in the dark. He's a crazy man. He swims in the dark. And uh, anyway, we go and have a coffee. I don't force anything on Pete. I just have a coffee with Pete. Right? That's all I do with Pete. I just have a coffee with Pete. And we chat about stuff. And I, I just ask Pete, tell me a story, Pete. And he's told me a story and all the different things that have gone on. I don't mention anything about God because I've got other people there who do that and in rather self-righteous way. And so Pete wants to bash him. And I just say to Pete, probably not a good idea, Pete. Right? And uh, anyway, but, but Pete has this thing where he won't talk to them now. He won't. You cross Pete, he crosses you off the line, right? Now, here's the deal. Initially, I sort of thought, ah, oh, this, this is a bit of a burden, right? And then I got that scripture, learning to live or walk in the unforced rhythms of grace. I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to save Pete. I just got to love Pete. And as I've walked along, just hanging out with Pete, it's not a sacrifice anymore. It's a blessing. Sacrifices turn into blessings. It's like parents when you prepare for your children to come. It's a bit of a sacrifice, but then it turns into a blessing. Amen? So what does it achieve? What does the sacrifice achieve? Well, let me tell you something. A sacrifice that is acceptable is acceptable to God draws the presence of God. Fire falls on the sacrifice that God finds acceptable. Whether it's Mount Carmel, where Elijah presents his sacrifice and fire falls and consumes it all up, or whether it's on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where they begin to worship and praise God, fire falls. And I want to tell you, C3 victory, that the sacrifice that you make corporately and individually that's acceptable to God, fire will fall. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.